You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. My voice sounds horrible. It's because, well, my voice is kind of horrible right now, but I'm still Bart Campolo. This is still my podcast and it's still called Humanize Me and hopefully that's what it'll do for you. Before we get to the good stuff, however, I got a little bit of business for you. I mean, the first thing is some of you are aware of this, but most of you probably are not that I actually have a book coming out that I wrote with my father. Um, It's coming out in February and it's called Why I Left, Why I Stayed. Conversations on Christianity between an evangelical father and his humanist son. And uh, it isn't really just conversations about Christianity. It's kind of conversations about, for me, what happens after you leave Christianity, too. Um, but, you know, it's all marketing. And, and, and like, this is a legit book. Like, it's being, mar- it's, being, it's being published by HarperCollins, which is like a big, fancy publisher. And so, uh, yeah, if you're into that thing, I, I, I just found out you can pre-order this book on Amazon. And theoretically, that is a good thing to do. So there, that's it. I've never had anything to shill on the podcast before, but here I am shilling. Um, the other thing is, if you want to, if you want to find out about the book, about the documentary, which also I think comes out in February too. They're kind of marketed for a dual release. Uh, the documentary people keep asking about John Wright's documentary. But if if you're interested in those things, you should go to barcampolo.org, which is my website. Um, where you can find back issues of the podcast, where you can find out about my counseling and coaching. And a lot of people, that's where they connect with me for counseling and coaching. They, they go through the podcast, they get all the information, and there's an easy way to connect there. Um, so yeah, so there, that's enough business. Um, you know, there's actually one more thing. A friend of mine wrote me a note the other day and he said, hey, I put a review of your podcast up on iTunes um, and he said, I have never done that before, but I just wanted to try to help you out. So I went to iTunes to look at the review and I found out that there's like only three or four reviews up there. It's pathetic. And I realized like, I never review anything on iTunes. I would never go look for that. But as I looked around, I realized that this is sort of a badge of honor or a, you know, good housekeeping sign of approval. And I thought, man, I better get some pseudonyms and put some reviews of myself up there. Uh, or you could do it. Um, and that would be, I would appreciate it if you would do it um, because I think that's important. I mean, I, I noticed that like websites about, you know, computer mouse pad maintenance and, you know, stamp collecting had, not that I'm putting down stamp collecting, um, but I noticed that they had like tons of reviews and I thought, man, we got to get some up there. So there's a word to the concerned. Um, listen, before we get to, I've got a great, what I thought was a great conversation to share with you, but before I get to it, um, I want to tell you the story cause I'm, I'm kind of flying. I'm, I'm sick, but I spent the last weekend, I was in San Antonio, Texas, and I got invited there by some folks from an organization called the Military Association of Atheists and Freethinkers, which, um, I, I'm sure there are, are, are organizations with less exciting names. Um, but I don't know them. Like, it's just uh, like, I can't think of a name that would make me that is less sexy than that name. But the guy who runs it is actually very sexy. His name is Jason Torpy. And I've known him for a couple of years. And he is this wonderful human being who recognizes that a lot of people in the military are dealing with a lot of difficult stuff. 
and the only kind of spiritual um, or emotional support available available to them comes from religious chaplains. And I, what I mean by is traditionally religious chaplains, Christian chaplains and Buddhist chaplains and Muslim chaplains. But there are very few atheist chaplains or agnostic chaplains or humanist chaplains, and they are kind of officially persecuted. They are not allowed to do the kinds of things that the other chaplains do. The, 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 the military, um, the armed forces actually pays those other kinds of chaplains, and you can barely even get approved to be on a base as a volunteer, if you're a secular chaplain. So anyway, I got invited by these guys to go down to San Antonio because at the Lachlan Air Force Base, um, one of these wonderful ex-military people, a woman named Vicki Getman, um, she has found an inn at Lachlan. And they, do base, they have about 5,000 basic trainees there all the time, going through that nine-week rigorous, crazy, basic training thing. And those guys are scheduled and yelled at and exercised and moved around from dawn to dusk and actually after dusk all day long, except on Sunday mornings where they get a few hours to catch their breath and and, and they're, they're, they're allowed to go to a service. They're allowed to go to a church service. And so she managed to get it so that they could do an atheist and humanist kind of service there to try to provide some kind of emotional and spiritual support for people who don't believe in God. And she told me that about three years ago, she got the okay to come out and meet with like three people that had asked her to do it. And before she knew it, the next meeting had like 20 people and the next meeting had 30. And all of a sudden she, she, she realized like I've got something here. And so for two hours, she does this amazing thing where at the beginning, people introduce themselves and they talk about their backgrounds. And what's funny is like a lot of Christians come to this meeting. A lot of, there were, there were Scientologists, there were Latter-day Saints people. They were all coming to this meeting because the point of the meeting isn't to proselytize or to bash religion, but simply, as, as she says, just to explore the role of secular humanism in our professional and personal lives. And a lot of the Christian people come out to it because it's a great meeting, um, they do all this kind of fun stuff at the beginning where people are introducing themselves and doing their spirit yells and things. And then at the end, they play movie trailers and video game trailers and they tell sports scores because these guys are so cut off. They don't have cell phones. They're not allowed to call home. There's no televisions. And they're just desperate for any kind of news of the outside world. And there are a lot of geeks too. So they like the video game stuff. Um but in between, they have this kind of amazing conversation about different things. And so she she wrote to me and Jason wrote to me and said, hey, would you come down and talk to our guys? Would you lead the discussion on kind of the rise of the nuns and what it means to live a good life without God? And, and so I did. Now, the meeting is up now. They did two meetings. They haven't back to back because they can't, they, they can't fit everybody in the room. They have a thousand basic trainees showing up for this thing. I mean, it was so intense. Like these guys and women come in, they're in unit, they're in full, they're in uniform and they march in, they sit down and you say, good morning. And they go, good morning, sir. And, and they're, it's just so crazy, but they are so happy to be there. And so happy to have a few minutes to be, a, one of them said to me, I, I, I just feel like this is the only time during the whole week that I've got, I got a chance to sort of be an individual. And they were just so receptive. I ended up doing this kind of talk about, um, about death 
and hedonism and heroism and and that in some ways loving other people is both hedonistic and heroic and it was just it was just so much fun and I, I gotta tell you if you're if you're anywhere near San Antonio Texas you should check in with Vicki Getman and Jason Torpy at Military Association of Atheists and Freethinkers and you should uh Go out there on a Sunday morning and see what's going on. It is truly inspiring. They are helping these young people not only blow off steam and kind of catch their breath and, and help them through a very difficult emotional time, but just to see the interactions. You know, the Christian kids that, that were there are seeing a, a, a humanist goodness that's going to make them less angsty and less less defensive about secular folks and the secular folks are getting a sense that it's not just about not believing in god but it's about doing something cool with your life and uh, it's just a great thing yeah so i couldn't you know it, it, i, I I'm, I'm betting vicky's gonna listen to this podcast and i love you and i am so grateful for the chance to have been with you and your gang there's a whole gang of them that do it together um vicky has a sort of a secular community that she and some of her friends have got going on friday nights where they eat dinner together and and they and they care about each other it's kind of this whole thing we've been talking about and then it's that gang that runs the thing on sundays and yeah it's just great stuff all right enough actually actually there's a perfect segue because for today's conversation I hooked up with an old friend of mine, a guy named Mark Iaconelli. And um, it's funny, my dad's a big Christian hotshot. Mark's dad was a big Christian hotshot named Mark, Mike Iaconelli. And uh, he was a great speaker and storyteller. He died about 13 years ago, I remember um, when he died. It was just a shock to everybody. But, but his son and I both grew up with massive daddy issues um, because our dads were these hotshot Italian storytellers. And, um, and you guys know my story. Mark's story is really interesting too. He's, he got into all kinds of kind of meditative stuff and spirituality things. And it's funny because, um, he and I have been friends for a long time, but somebody had told me he was doing this new storytelling project and I totally wanted to find out about it. And it turns out it is, first of all, it's a secular project called, um, thehearthcommunity.com and it's kind of a, it's kind of a values oriented moth or a values oriented storytelling program that I think if you go to thehearthcommunity.com you can find out all about it Mark and I end up talking about it and so I, I hooked up with him to say tell me about this stuff and we ended up um, kind of having a podcast conversation and the good news is is that we had a great time. We told a million stories and we were, we were in and out and all over the place. The bad news is, is that, that that conversation went like two hours long and half of it was like insider family stuff that would be totally inappropriate or totally boring, um, to share on, uh, on a podcast. Um, and so, but, the, so, but, the, but the good news is that podcasts can be edited. So I, I managed to edit this one down and I think what we left in is the most helpful stuff because it's the stuff that would be useful to anybody who's trying to figure out how do you take a group of people or how do you gather a group of people and get them to relate to each other in a humanizing way. And so Mark's doing a form of community building that I just think is amazing and I think is incredibly relevant for any of us that are concerned about 
the disintegration of people and the disconnectedness of people and how we can bring them back together. So if you want to talk about a conversation that I think is about how do we humanize each other, it's this one. And I'm not going to talk too much more about it. I'm just going to cut right to it. Um, Mark wrote a book called The Gift of Hard Things, uh, and and we'll have a link to that on, on, on the site and all that stuff. So get to it. Here you go. Here's a conversation. I hope you like it. So, so, so one of the ways you and I have connected throughout the years is, is, um, you know, we have Italian fathers, we had charismatic fathers, fathers who were sort of, um, I I see them as coming out of the 1960s, you know, carry on, you know, your father carrying on social justice stuff and bringing it into the evangelical world. My dad sort of that, um, was trying to bring sort of that jester, uh, humor through the Wittenberg Door, that magazine he did for a number of years, that which um, which was a satirical, humorous magazine, making fun of a lot of the stuff in the Christian world, and then working in youth ministry, that kind of stuff. And yeah, and they and were the, both, and they were both like they beco- both became like cultically followed people. So where you would go places, people were like, "Oh, your dad! Oh my gosh! Let me yes. tell you a story about your dad. Like I yes. have to tell you this story." You'd be like, actually, you don't, but yeah, that's right. I have to yes. graciously listen to it. Yeah, so you and I were always in that wake growing up, you know, from very, very young, you know, and of course, your dad was much, much larger figure um, uh, across the country, but in the circles that I went in with my dad, it was it was the same kind of experience. Oh yeah, and and here's the thing: like your dad was much more like I think. Iggy Pop in the sense of he had a smaller circle, but the people that knew him and that followed him, like all those youth workers, yeah, he, he loomed much larger for them. Like they desperately wanted his approval. Like I knew people that like, they just wanted to, if, if they could have dinner with Mike Iaconelli, that meant something to them. And they would tell that story forever. My dad was sort of like, he, he was like a, a normal celebrity, whereas your dad was more like Bob Dylan. <laughs> I don't know about that. No, to those people, to those people, not, not, not to you and me, but like to those people, he loomed yeah. large. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just was out in Boston and you know, a woman came and introduced me to her 13 year old son who she named after my dad when he died. You know, he wow. died 13 years ago. And she's right. like, my son was born one week after your dad died. I named him Michael Charles, you know, first name, middle name, same thing. And there's probably, I probably met six or seven kids who have been named after my dad. Wow. And so that's, so you're right. There's that, that kind of, you know, I have people sending me emails that, uh, you know, you know, he changed my life or dreams they have, you know, where he shows up as kind of a, uh, mystical figure in their, in their dreams. And, you know, what do you think this means? And that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we grew up in that, in that wake and, and throughout, you know, we've probably gotten together, I don't know, nine, 10 times in our life or something like that. And it's, and this is where there's a conversation, kind of a checking in. We recognize each other when we see each other, there's a similar experience we've had. Yeah. I'm more interested in what happens to a person. And this is a, this is another place you and I connect because of our background. We believe in stories. I mean, I, I've, I watched some of your talks that you're doing now. You tell stories. And, and when you speak to, um, uh, there was some atheist group you spoke to and used a lot of stories. Oh yeah. It's all I, and we're, we're yeah. made of stories. That's what we're we made are. Of sto- uh, exactly. And my, all my works, I have a nonprofit now. It's all about storytelling and in a secular way. It's not a religious organization. And, um, so I believe in storytelling, the stories that are connected to the mystical practices that I was formed in, um, is enough for me. 
they 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 draw out parts of myself that I'm that I want to stay available to generosity, patience, kindness. Um, those things are cultivated in me through particular stories and attached to experiential practices. So belief statements um, and these arguments over you know what's really historically happened. Um, I went through that, or you know, all yeah, around those guys. Yeah, we all do. But um, they're just not interesting to me anymore. No, they're, they're not interesting to me anymore either. What's the 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 reason? I, what's interesting to me is the use of la- the language, and I sort of go yeah. like, the reason I don't use that language is because that language brings all those questions and brings all those things in, and like I don't want to talk about that stuff. Yeah, and uh, that's, I, and that's no. why I don't use that language. I completely agree. I mean, I spend much of my time, you know, I'm in the Northwest. What is it? 8% or less goes to church. So Christian Christians are often uh, tied to sort of Nazism or something around here. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very loaded, you're right. It's a absolutely loaded language. And I don't use it publicly in, in the town that I, that I'm in and, and in my, in my nonprofit work, I don't use that Christian. Language. It's a very private faith for me, but, um, but it works for me privately. And in, and in some settings that I get invited to, religious settings, uh, I can use it there. But most of the time, you're right. I'm apologizing. I have to redefine the terms. I have to. But, you know, when I ran it, I was asked by an atheist group here, very strong, uh, the Jefferson Society, committed to atheism, atheism I think, and I think it thinks is ridding the world of superstition. They had me – they asked me to do a retreat knowing my background, and I had to tell them, hey, you know, I'm not Christian. They say, that's okay. We need a retreat. So I, I did this two-day retreat. I didn't really do much different than I would have done on a Christian retreat. It just was just was changing. The practices were the, exactly the same. Oh, bro, if you came to my secular student fellowship at USC, I mean, you would just think you were at any college fellowship you'd ever been to. Like, yeah, right. Like, like I, and, and the talks I give – you know, challenging young people to reach out to others and try to make a difference in their lives, you know, helping them work through conflicts. It's, it's all the same stuff. Um, right. You know, it, it's just that for most of these kids, if I put that narrative at the center of it, even as a mythology, mythological, like it would just like, then, then they're gone. They're out the door. And it's, yeah. And so it's I, just easier. You know, And so in some sense, that's why I, I, I kind of wish that the people that run the great retreats and that sing the great songs and that know how to build community in that way, I wish that they would recognize that like there's all these people out there that if they would just drop the language, they could really help them. <laughs> they could. There's a so, lot of people dying for that kind of community. So this is where you and I connect at this point in our yes. lives. Okay. So, so tell me about this thing. So I, so this is exactly the insight I had is I was working at a homeless shelter at our church and I noticed the church was doing this, you know, they were providing food, socks, showers, meeting the physical needs of people. There was no proselytizing, you know, just come in, get something to eat, take a shower. Here's some, we'll, we'll, we'll meet your physical needs. There was a Christian community in the background, but there was, there was no proselytizing, you know, none of that stuff. So I thought I was thinking, why don't I meet the spiritual needs of people without proselytizing. And by spiritual, my definition of spiritual is spiritual just means relationship. So my, a relationship with myself, a relationship with others, a relationship with 
the ineffable. What I'll, what I'll call, yeah, yeah, the sacred, the sacred, and the sacred, the sacred may be nature. The sacred may be, you know, you know, life itself, uh, and and the ways that um, science doesn't matter. So how do I help deepen those? And I thought I know how to do that. I have all those skills. If I take out the religious language, I can help build that. So I started a storytelling project. Now, if you went to it, you'd say, oh, this is just a Protestant worship service. There is no religious language, although we used to meet in a bar and then we met in a community center. Now no, we meet in a Jewish temple now because it's the largest space I can get. We get about 300 to 400 people. We'll have a theme like wilderness tales or letting go or tales from childhood. I find six people from around town to tell a true story 10 minutes based on that theme. It's like the moth? It's like the moth, except for just a couple of, couple of little little changes to it. One is it's a $5 donation when you come in. All that money goes to a local nonprofit that connects to the story. And that so so in in a, in a sense everybody is trying to support some organization that's on the front lines of making life better. So it might be an environmental group, it might be a group that's uh, working with the homeless, might be a group working in the jails with drug whatever. That gives a different feel in the room. Then I I've, I've been to the moth, I've been to different storytelling things. Often they're they're run as a business or they're run by theater people. It's twenty bucks to go. It's a show. This is not a show. So if you hear the recordings of when I'm running this, I often say at the front end, I have to teach people again. These this is again a skill you and I know, but but we're losing it in the world. I say what we're doing here is we're practicing community. Now here now some of you are going to help set up chairs, and some of you baked goods to sell, and some of you donated, you know, brought drinks to to, to give out, at the, and some of you are working in this nonprofit, and some of you are going to tell stories, and some of you going to play music. All volunteers. We're all doing this to learn to build relationships and get to know each other better. Now, I don't use any religious – there's no religion and religious language in any of this stuff. But that money, I would say, is like the old Christian practice of an offering. In the middle of this thing, we have wine and food. That's communion. (laughs) We have people up there telling stories. That's testimony. At the end of the night, I do a three- or four-minute sort of uh, homily based on the texts that night, which are these six stories from community members. It works gorgeously. It's beautiful. It's there are moments that silence descends in there, and it's deeply what I would call spiritual. We're deeply connected. There's this, the sacred comes into the room. Do I need to use the Christian language or summarize? No, I absolutely not. Because, like I said, what I was formed in through spiritual direction, Christian mysticism, was that the experience is what matters, not the names. And so, getting that moment of connection and connecting that to people who are doing social justice on the front lines opens us up and frees us in a way that's good for humanity, you know, and good for the earth and good for all of us. And it's, it's so it's interesting to me that you and I are working in the same field, different sides of it, but, um, Oh yeah. And like, I, I, like I have a bunch of students and they're getting ready to do their first storytelling, like the, an event like that, yeah. because yeah. what they, what was the problem for them was, is that they're all into secular humanism and they're all excited about making the world a better place and building loving relationships. And they're like, but what's our gospel or what's our, what's our outreach? How do we, how do we share this good news that like you can pursue goodness in a secular way. How do we share this? And they were, yeah. you know, and, and so one of the things they were talking about is like, what we're learning is how to connect. Yeah. And how do we share that? And so it was funny because when I ran into, um, when I ran into like y- what you were doing, I was like, Oh, this is it. So like, my sense is you help people now you have a nonprofit that helps other communities figure out how to run things like this thing. 
Yeah, it's it's was worked in a number of ways. So yes, I'm I'm not right now in a project training small towns because church, you know, the church structure as you and I have known it and has been known, is disappearing. It's going into the ground. So are civic organizations, Elks Club, all this stuff. You know, I met with this atheist group that's been going for 30 years. They won't be around in 10 years. They're going to be gone. And so we don't have space. We don't have actual physical spaces where intergenerational folks show up to know each other and to do good. And I thought this is a. I'm going to steal the jewels that I yep, know from yep, the church. That's, that's Here's the the best things I know, the gems from the church. I'm stealing them and I'm throwing them forward, knowing that new structures will be created probably after my lifetime. But you need to know these things. They're actually. You know, I don't know if you read a uh, Religion for Atheists by Alain de Botton. Oh gosh, yes, I love that. Guy. Love I'm, that book. And, except for and, the part about the orgies. I was like, he, he, this is clearly a guy who doesn't know how a real community works. <laughs> right. But he was basically saying there's a lot of technologies, if you want to call them, social technology the church has come up with that are genius, and we need to keep them. So I'm trying to find those things that are that are really important, and I'm trying to give them away to the community and say, okay, I know the church is, is, is going back into the ground, but these things are treasures and they need to be kept. And, uh, and that includes eating together, you know, all of us pulling our resources to do something better for the, for the, for the good, telling our stories, telling the truth, eradicating shame, getting to know each other. You know, these things are important. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you, it's funny because I don't know if you read Brene Brown's book, uh, Daring Greatly. No, I haven't read that one. I, I read her, I read her first one. I, I think this is the one though. And cause it's, it's all about like overcoming shame yeah. and I meet so many people, you know, especially I meet a lot of people coming out of organized religions that have hurt them and the shame and all that stuff. Yes. But, but her thing is that vulnerability is the key. And, and the thing that she, she always points out is that when people are, are vulnerable themselves, they feel weak and they're like, I don't want to be vulnerable cause I don't want to be weak. And I, I want to project strength, but that when somebody else gets up and is vulnerable, they go like, wow, that's so courageous. Um, and so this practice of showing each other, Hey, look, I'm going to be vulnerable and Hey, look, everybody thought that was wonderful. And, you know, it's sort of creating the sense of like vulnerability is good, but like, this is the <laughs> pathway to connection. Um, and so I, I feel like it's a hugely like secular, like I, secular spirituality, if you will, this, yeah. this storytelling thing is a ritual that reminds us of the deepest truth of humanity, Yes, um, which is that if we're vulnerable, like our vulnerability to, with each other is the connection to our feeling connect, connected and safe with each other. Absolutely. I mean, I, I would say for me, if I, if I was going to, in my religious language, vulnerability is, is holiness. And, and, and for me, when I say the word God, I'm referring to that presence that is also very vulnerable. So I, I don't believe in the all powerful, all knowing, all controlling God. I believe in a presence that is, a, that is, that is vulnerable that we all experience whatever language we want to say. And, and, and another name for that vulnerability, as we know as parents, is love, which love opens us up in a very vulnerable way. So, yeah, right. These people, every story in some ways that when I do these things is a coming out story. This is who I really am. All right, this is you, what I really suffer. But let, let me this stop you. Let me stop you. Okay, because like if you came to my thing at USA, like, like it's funny. There was, <laughs> there was a New York Times um, magazine reporter who came. 
uh-huh. and he, they're doing like this profile on it because they're like, this is the coolest. It's like 40 people in a room. It's nothing. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, it's so nothing, but like the vibe is so amazing. Yeah. But what he says to me is like, dude, you're a master of creating that vibe. The yeah. way you talk. And, and I know you, like I've known you from forever. Like you are one of the most gifted people I know at creating that vibe. Mm-hmm. So here's what I want to know is the hearth, like your nonprofit, you're trying to help some little town. Yeah. Can they do it if there's not a Zen master of community sort of quietly holding it together? Can it just, is the technology such that it works even if somebody who's not as gifted as you does it? Yes, that, that was actually the, that was the primary question, the foundation, which is a, a secular foundation, the Ford family the Ford Family Foundation, not the car company, a lumber company here in town in Oregon. They um, they said that, that was their question. Could you replicate this without you? Uh, so it's been a year and a half since I taught three pilot communities, small towns, uh, Klamath Falls, Oregon, Grants Pass, Oregon, Etna, California, about 800 people in that town. They're still going. It's a year later, year and a half later, they're still running their things. And I will tell you, some of that facilitation is some of the worst facilitation I've ever seen in my life. I mean, people doing things like they set up the microphone and then they stood two feet to the left of the microphone. So you couldn't hear them as they were talking or, you know, they're reading the paper and they can't pronounce the names. And it was so awkward and so weird. I mean, it still works because which is this is the proof of a good idea is if it can be poorly executed and it still works yes and some of the poorest execution i've ever seen (laughs) i mean i was i was so embarrassed because supposedly these are people i had trained and um what works is um the person who gets up and tells the story if if you create a space where okay tell me what you've lived and they are willing to do it uh, there's a there's that vulnerability that sense of connection comes into the room. Now, or, do, you, do do your other leaders do the same thing? Like though, after the six stories, does somebody get up and wrap it up and try to make sense of it? It's incredibly painful. What <laughs> 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 uh, well, some of them? There, there's a guy. He he he's a, he runs a little kind of car dealership in Grants Pass who does this. He writes it out ahead of time, so he'll read this paper. You know, I try to just feel what's I try to feel what strikes in the moment. And pull that together, try to summarize. Because you can, because you can. Because I, I can. He listens to all the stories, practices with the storytellers, then he'll write out, here's what I, what he thinks the theme is. But it's a sermon. You know, it's, it's no, there's no religious language. And when, I, I know you interviewed uh, Catherine Osment, I think. Yeah, right? I haven't played it yet, but I, okay, she, Grace, yeah, I, I Grace got without, her. Grace Without God. So she's a non-believer. She, you know, she came out and is not a religious, a religious person, but is, is, is a really beautiful human being. See, that's the weird thing. I, that's the language I want to change, Mark. And like, this is just a total parenthesis. She is a religious person. Religion, okay. religion is about trying to answer life's ultimate questions and meaning and belonging. Like she's really, she's, she's a religious naturalist. She doesn't believe in supernaturalism, okay. but she's okay. totally relig- like, I'm a religious person. I need, okay. I need to connect my little story with this grand narrative of the universe. Like, okay. like, like, yeah. So it's like, I, I know that that's not what people think of when they think of religion. Right. But like the, the thing is, is, is we've got to rescue some of those words. Like if there's going to be a secular, see, I don't, like the language that you're using that you still use privately, I just yeah. like I don't think that language is going to work for a lot of people moving forward. 
And so we've right. got, we've got to come up with a, a, a language. Like when we, when we say the word religion, cause religion speaks to like this deep need people have. And so, yes. so anyway, but I, 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 that's total parenthesis. I'm just like, I love the word religion and I don't want to let it be taken away. I don't, I don't want it to have to do with believing in supernaturalism. I, I, I want it to have to do with believing in transcendence and ultimate meaning. Yeah, I like that. That's 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 a good learning for me, and I, I hope that is. I mean, this you and I are bridge people now, right? Oh gosh, so yes. We're we're coming out of the ruins of Christianity, and we're we're trying to take what good things we got from that and throw it forward. <laughs> Amen to that. And and who knows where it's going to go? And I'm okay living there. I'm not I'm not afraid or or worried about about any of these things. But um, and I'm actually very invigorated as I as I sense you are by this clarity about what's good from what we came from and how we can give that to the greater yeah whole, i mean i'm greater whole. i'm deeply worried because the technologies of alienation are advancing so quickly yeah and and we're trying to we're and we're trying to in a sense update and and reinvigorate these technologies of connection and I and I'm deeply worried. Like if we don't if we don't come up with new containers for community and fellowship and lo- and, and collective joy and collective service, I, I think like I think the I think in a sense the immediate future of humanity kind of hangs in the balance. And so like to, like like I can't tell you how important I think what you're doing is. And and like you're the first person I've had on this podcast that I feel like. Or that, I've, that I'm going to have on this podcast that I feel like a person because I have all these people listening to me and they're like, I'm with you, Bart. I, w- I want to be part of your community. I wish I wish I could do something like what you're doing. And, and I, I need to give them something that they can do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. This, and, this, and is, this, this feels is... like this is the first time I'm able to say to them, you could do this. Yes. It's, it's simple. And, um, and so, and I, it's interesting cause I've now been invited, you know, like I say, by, because of this storytelling to work with agnostic or atheist groups, you know, that's their, that's their primary, the formation of their community, as well as, you know, I was hired by the city of Roseburg where they had a school shooting a year ago at Umqua community college, nine killed, nine wounded. And I was brought in there because they're like, how do you help us? How could you use story to help us heal around this? And that was a that was a widespread community effort, a one-year project of collecting stories, presenting stories in written form. You can go to you can go do you, to uh, the Umqua Story Project. I know it's hard, but Umqua U M P Q U A storyproject.com. You can see all the stories we collected from that town. People talking about kindness, generosity, uh, compassion that happened in the wake of that tragedy. Mark, have you ever met a woman named Kate Weeby? Does that name mean anything to you? No. No. Kate runs something called the Center for Congregational Trauma. Um and and she basically goes to cities where like they had the the big shootings and things, and realizes that the typically the the all the congregations of those communities are are wiped out by this. They they don't know how to deal with it. And she mm-hmm. she's she's kind of a post trauma expert at helping people figure out whether it's the trauma of a shooting or whether it's the trauma of like a pastor who f- gets caught in all sorts of abuse yeah. and, and it messes. And I I I just feel like this. I'm not surprised that a town that has been broken would say, hey, you know, could you give us a, t- a technology that would help us heal ourselves? Right. 
and, and story. And like you said, the ritual of telling story yeah, yeah. Uh, in the, within the community is one of them. So, so then I've been invited to work with, you know, places where there's a lot of division around refugees, you know, uh, uh, had a project around race. I was hired by the state of Oregon to work in some small towns to help race relationships. And this particular structure and set of practices works. So is, is this how you're paying the bills these days? Yeah. That it is off the hearth thing, off the off the storytelling project, off the storytelling project. My yeah. God, why are you so much smarter than me? Because <laughs> yeah. like I'm I'm like this pastoral caregiver to all these people, and I cannot figure out how, like because there's no community that's going to support me as a missionary to help broken people. Right. And I am not figure like I I haven't like I'm dying in a pile. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so. Well, it's been incredibly stressful, as you know. I mean, I've been—I mean, for five years, I was just a volunteer, and then, then freelancing and scrambling, as as all all of us who are freelancers do, to make it. But but it finally, about a year ago, year and a half ago, this is... I started get it. It started now. Now it's full uh, full time, you know, in, income from this, and things are good. Is it just you, or do you have like a team? If you will. well. It depends on the project. So this project in, in uh, around the shooting in, in Roseburg, they let me hire uh, four people. I had four people working for me. So that was a... Like for a minute, like not, not permanently, but just for a while they worked for you? Some of them part-time. I mean, you know, they were out collecting stories or they were doing our technology on it, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And, that's, and that, that project ended, so they're all gone. So no, it's just me. I get enough money and the town's been great, but the word has spread about this about this kind of work. And so, you know, I'm, I'm working on a gig right now, possibly six months living in Austin, Texas for six months to, uh, work with 20 to 30 year olds, helping them figure out their story and, uh, and how that might help them find their careers, that kind of stuff. Cause I have been invited to these, to, uh, atheist groups or, you know, that, that, that's their, that's their forming sort of identity. And they're, they're like taking the worst things from the church. I know. Like, I'm like, it's like, it's it's so like bad. committee meetings. And, and like you said, singing these songs and having these belief statements, you know, that they try to say to each other. And I was just like, Oh, this is everything I hated about church. I know. I know. And it's so it's... simple. It's sort of like, like some people said, you know, sometimes people ask me, well, how do I get this to happen? It's like, have a dinner. Invite a bunch of people over who you want to get to know. Ask some good questions. Create a safe place around the table. Ask some good questions. And stories will show up. I think this is part of the special sauce. Like, I think this is part of what, if we could, if we could create a, a, a way in which people are like, oh, yeah, in every town that you go to, there's a place where people get together to be vulnerable around the idea of how do we become better people and how do we make the world a kinder place and how do we cultivate a sense of gratitude for just the privilege of being alive. Yeah. And it's that tied to the fact that the, the reason we're together is to hear these stories, but also in service of somebody who's on the front lines doing something good. So I have one in two weeks we're doing for, uh, they're trying to create a hospice house. We don't have any, we don't have any hospice program in Southern Oregon. So I got people telling stories about, um, about people they've loved, they've died who those people were, what the dying process was like for them, whether it was good or bad. And we're all gathered there to give all of our money and all of our help to this group of really beautiful women who so are trying to get this hospice key, going. I mean, that you, you think that that's the engine that's that makes a, it work? 
yes, it creates a totally different feeling in the room than when I go to a moth and I'm a passive consumer. I paid 20 bucks. I'm going to hear some entertaining stories. I might be moved. There might be oh, vulnerability, this but it's totally a show. makes sense. Uh, yeah. You, but in the other thing, I'm part of a congregation and like we're rallying to do this thing together. Yes. Right. And so every time we gather, I make a big profile. Of, hey, these folks are saving the Klamath River and they're out there on the front lines and, and they, I have them at a table out there and every story all the stress and anxiety of people telling stories because it's very stressful oh, God, for people is, is to so serve good. these this good project and they've got they're they're out there right now they have a very simple way you could connect with them they're going to do a one day river cleanup or they're going to do one day you know uh, hike through the the river to see where where the, it's being uh, violated or something like that so you so there's always a service component every time we gather and it, now there's some things I've had like I said I have to teach people community again so I have to say hey. Everybody here is a volunteer. Help us put chairs away or sign up to bring, bring baked goods because we're going to be helping this uh, this Head Start program next time we gather and we need help. And But then people immediately – I mean the, – They get it. And then they're like, this is so – I love it when they're like – I had a girl last night come up to me and go like, this is so amazing. I've never – like, and I'm like, what? Like she's like, just being in a room with – all these nice people and we're talking about good things and like I've missed this in my life and you're just thinking like this yeah. is so basic and 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 yet yes it's so wonderful to create it for people it is basic there's you know as, as like I said for me spiritual refers to relational so but there's a relational if we want to use that word poverty in the United States right now. And there's loneliness and alienation and disconnection. And we're distracted from our distractions by our distractions. As T.S. Eliot says, you know, we're, yeah. we're very disconnected. And so we have to go back to like this, the basic technologies, including be in the same room, <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> physically be in the same room. Somebody tells a story, you know, some, you know, you know, put your resources to help someone eat together. We're we're back at at stage one. Yeah, my goodness, and uh, like, it's so funny. This is just the latest. This is the tenth installment of the Mark and Bart. My life is your life experience. Yeah, that's right. Because this is, I mean, this is at like, absolutely. It's all I'm doing right now, and I'm trying yeah. to. I'm trying, and and I I run this I, like the podcast is just me trying to pump this idea out there to all these people who feel lost and alien and 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 my thing is i'm this big person is like don't don't build your identity around what you don't believe build your identity around what you're committed to and what your values are and and then sort of saying like and nobody lives up to their values alone like i can if i want to be if i want to be in shape i got to join a a running club or i've got to go to a gym like because i will lose like we only ever live up to our values together Right. And, and the way – I mean kind of tie this back to the beginning of the conversation. One of the ways that I've tried to overthrow my father's life or you – know, <laughs> Yeah, I know. Or, or, but also try to hold on to the core of it is my dad and your dad believed in the power of speaking. They're speakers. They use a lot of words. Is it, what you and I, I think, have been trying to do is believe in practice. You know, that was what you were doing when you were in the inner city. Like it's the it's the doing, it's the activities that are matter most. And so now in this sort of post-Christian time, 
we're trying to continue to teach practices. Like it's not the belief statements, whether atheist or Christian, that matter as much as what are you doing? And it's in that doing that we create community. It's in that doing that that uh, healing can take place or goodness and injustice um or yeah. injustice can be overcome. It, you know, it's it's in the practices. So that's what the, I've been doing with the hearth. And yet, and practices are powerful. And yet, ironically, like the the practice that we're most excited about is getting people to tell stories. Yes, which is what our dads were the best in the world at is telling stories. Yes. You know, and like yes. It's so interesting. Last night I had these kids together and, you know, we have these questions out on the table and they're talking about hugging and they just, it just sparks conversation. And and then I gathered together for like the little 10 minute homily. And I ended up telling a story about my dad Mm -hmm. and about this funeral that he wandered into that he wasn't supposed to be at and this whole thing. And it was just, it's it's just so funny because it's a story he used to tell. And I said to Marty on the way home, I said, the story works better when I tell it, doesn't it? And she goes, yeah, because she <laughs> yeah. said, she said, when your dad tells it, he's the hero. Right. Yeah. But when you Sorry, t- got- go, no, go ahead. I just turn it off. I'm sorry. Talk about ruining a story right there. No, no, no. But it was funny because she was like, yeah, she's like, but when you tell it, he's the hero and it's a better story when somebody else is the hero. Yeah. And, um, and that was, it was kind of this, but, but like when I, and this is the one thing, like, I don't want to say the one thing, but like, I'm sad that your dad died young Mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is because my dad being old, this, my leaving Christianity was hugely embarrassing for him. It's hard for him. He has to yeah. deal with it. And actually, like, we just wrote another book together, which is kind uh-huh. of a, a conversation between us around this stuff. Uh-huh. But the weird thing is, is that when he sees the practices, he's like, oh, you're okay. Like, yeah. Like, that was the thing, is when I left Faith, he was like, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I'm going to do what I've always done. Like, I'm going to build community for broken people and try to teach them how to connect with each other. And he was like, Oh, okay. You'll be fine. Like it it didn't matter. I mean, and I think your dad would have been exactly the same way. He would have been like, Oh, it doesn't like, it doesn't need to be wrapped in that language all the time. I'm just proud of you. I'm just proud of you practicing this stuff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and, um, you know, I got to have it out with my dad before he died. So I got to say, this was bullshit and this I couldn't stand. And this, you know, you were a hypocrite around this stuff. And we, we spent three days on retreat, just, just arguing and, and, and getting out all the dirty laundry. And, uh, you know, I, I felt he was very proud of the ways I was, uh, uh, challenging his life and doing a very different kind of thing. And I, I think he would love this. I, I think he would see a direct line between this and what he was doing. It's a different time and it's a different age. And, um, and this is what's needed now. And the, and the legacy from my dad was stay alive, be a living human being. I mean, that, that was the main gift of his life. Yeah, keep was. growing, keep learning, keep reading new books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Keep trying stuff. You know, he was always starting something new, trying something new, new projects, new things. And, um, 
Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what I'm carrying on. And the, and like you said, and the power of storytelling and when that's interesting, that's how I feel about this. Like the stuff that I'm doing here at USC, like trying to create a student or a student group that will send people out that know how to build these kind of communities. Cause that's why I'm at USC. Cause like if you mess with 50 students at USC three years later, they're in 50 different cities. Um, right. <laughs> right. And they all have money. Uh, and so you, 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 right. you're hope I'm hoping to sort of infect them with this is a way of life that you can like that you can do, um, you know, and, and so but what's interesting is, is I feel like I'm trying to do it and I don't know if it'll work. And this podcast I'm working like maybe it'll fall apart. And like there are these people at Oasis and at Sunday Assembly, like everybody's trying to figure out a new new a new container for what human beings need and i feel like it's like a bunch of computer guys in the 1960s and like in a bunch of garages and most of them will fail right but collect but like everybody has to be working in their garage and then swapping ideas and stuff and stealing and 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 sharing and then like something will emerge yes that will be this is the new way like this is the this is the new way, or maybe there'll be fifteen things that'll emerge. Like these are the new ways that different kinds of people can be together, and can yes. and can thrive. Yes. So earlier when I said I'm not worried, it's because of that. It's because I I, I believe and have faith that um, uh, that we will not give up on, or that this grace that what I call grace, or what I call this sort of sacred presence of compassion is going to continue to to cry out in us for another way of being community another way of living and and uh yeah and it, at will but gosh i felt like we, we could have gone another hour or two well I, yeah. so many trails we didn't get to go down but I'm, no. I'm hoping as i always do every time we connect that, that this will be we'll, we'll connect again soon all right so that was my conversation with mark iaconelli i do hope you liked it you can find out more about Mark's project, thehearthcommunity.com, at thehearthcommunity.com. Um, I think it's totally relevant for all of us secular community builders. Um, but also on that website, you can hear a lot of the stories, and they're just beautiful stories. Um, and if you haven't done the whole storytelling thing, The Moth is another podcast with wondrous stories. And I think like well, as we start to talk about how important it is to be vulnerable— and how it connects people when we're vulnerable with each other. I think you're going to find that the, that the storytelling um, stuff is a real, it's a really important tool for us. And so I, I was so grateful to talk to Mark, and I'm always so grateful to talk with all of you. Uh, hit me up at bartcampola.org. Um, tell me what you think, and we'll catch you next time. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit barcampolo.org.